you know, if you're if your friends are worried about having those conversations about values with their partners, people they're dating, I think that says everything. It says that they probably know what the answers are. They probably know that they're incompatible and they're just sort of whistling past the graveyard, as it were. Hello, everybody. You're listening to Chatting with Candace. I'm your host, Candace Horback. Before we get started on this week's episode, I want to first say thank you so much to Shay. Shay, thank you so much for buying me all of those cups of coffee. That was very generous of you. I also want to say a big thank you to Tony Vaz. Thank you for being a Patreon member. Both of you helped me out so much on this new journey of becoming a podcaster, and I really couldn't do it without you. I also want to thank everyone that has been leaving reviews, sharing it with everybody that they know. It's really been helping the numbers. I really appreciate you. So this week we have Jack Murphy joining the podcast. I'm really excited to have him on. Jack Murphy is the author of the very successful book, Democrat to Deplorable. He's also the founder of the Liminal Order, which is a men's group. Um, He talks a lot about culture, politics, masculinity, and all of those very important subjects. So please help me welcome Jack Murphy. Well, Jack Murphy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we could make it. I appreciate you allowing me to reschedule last week. I was sick as a dog and it just wouldn't have been any fun. So No, I actually appreciate you just telling me. Otherwise, it would have been subpar and then I would have been a little disappointed. So I'm glad that we made it happen, that you're feeling better, all that good stuff. Definitely. No hacking and coughing in your ear today. No. So I saw you recently got engaged. So congratulations. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. So how long have you been with your partner? Wow. We've been together seven years. So it's uh, it's been a good run. And uh, she's been through crisis and joy and ups and downs and every little last bit of life that you could possibly experience together. And uh, things are going well and getting better every day. So I thought it was about time. Yeah, I was going to ask. That's a long time to be together before you pop the question. I know me, I would be like... Um... TikTok. Yeah. Well, I did get quite a bit of that, (laughs) but definitely no ultimatums. Right. I I think I probably would have walked on an ultimatum. Yeah. Uh, And uh, she she knew that, too. And, you know, we we were building a life together every single day. And I was asking her to do a lot. Um, I was asking her to basically be a traditional housewife without being married. And when she when she did agree to that without really any hesitation whatsoever, uh, that's when I knew that it was time for us to to really make it official and to really commit to building something bigger than just the two of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to set an example for my kids, uh, maybe re- repair some of the damage that maybe the divorce had done, uh, and then also just uh, walk the walk in general. You know, um, I believe it's really important. Uh, family values are very important. Uh, building families together, building a life together, building something bigger than yourself uh, and, and getting out of yourself and not just being 100% focused on pleasure or hedonism or just staying in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I preach a lot and, you know, it, it's it's part of my values. And so this was really just a natural progression. And ever since we got engaged, it's been, you know, the joy level has just increased. So there's no like, oh, God, what did I do? <laughs> what did I do? Cold feet or anything? No, not at all, man. We're just very excited. Yeah, I was going to ask. So um, having been married before, do you think that there's a difference between 
between like that level of commitment because so many people, especially I guess like millennials, so like there's no difference between getting married, especially if you're cohabitating or if you've been with someone for a certain amount of time. And I couldn't I mean, I I couldn't disagree more. I mean, I've been with my husband for 11 years, and I think there's a huge difference from when we decided to take that next step of marriage versus, you know, just living together and what we thought was building a life together. So I think there's a difference. I'm curious uh, on your take. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we were definitely building a life together. Uh, But at the same time, I was always very careful to be building a life for her just in case. And so what do I mean by that? I mean that when we moved, when she moved in with me the first time or, you know, when she moved in with me, um, I I told her, look, you know, you always wanted to go back to hair school and become a hairstylist. Let's do that now. So why don't you move in? You can go to school, get your license, start your career, not have to worry about bills or anything. I'll take care of you. And I've always been trying to improve her life in a way that was like, in case something bad happened, you know, that this wasn't wasted time for her or that she would, you know, be in a better position than when we met. So even though I was like helping her and we're building stuff together, it was always with this chance Mm. that we may not have been together. And I thought that that was sort of the fair and honorable thing to do. You know, I wanted her to to get better and, and, and improve herself. And now that we're engaged and getting married, and in my mind, we're already married. I, she's just my wife. Like, I, I don't, the ceremony is great and that's all part of the process. But for me, you know, I've made a commitment already, so I'm sticking to it. And I, I see it as that already. Plus, it's just kind of fun. <laughs> and, uh, you know, hey, wife. <laughs> uh, and now, and now we're totally aligned. Mm-hmm. Right. One hundred percent till death do us part all the way to the end. There's no need to prepare her for what if scenarios. There's no need to make sure she's building a career at the same time so that just in case, you know, she's set up or whatever. No, now we're just one hundred percent building towards the same goal, building family, building the future. She's the house manager here. Uh, she takes care of all the scheduling, all the planning, all the meals, all the everything, super traditional. And then she's also going to be the events manager for uh, the limo order. So now that we're totally aligned, there doesn't need to be a just-in-case scenario. Um, it, it has brought even more joy and pleasure to the relationship because that little that little escape valve idea is gone. Mm-hmm. And neither one of us need to entertain it at all. And so we can just think towards the future and just commit to each other and uh, and commit to the life, really. And uh, it's been great so far. It's been two weeks, two weeks two of engagement. Weeks. That's <laughs> exciting, though. I remember that time. We were really young. I say really young, but we were young and broke when we got engaged. So it took a long time. And then we also had a lot of hiccups in that period Like I was in the middle of like some career changes um, that were like very testing to the relationship and (laughs) (laughs) obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But it it, it was kind of cool. It was like the same thing. We made that commitment to each other and it was like having faith in each other and like being able to overcome obstacles together, like regardless of how intense they were. Um, So were you guys dating during like the rise of Jack Murphy, like during the doxing and all of before, that, way before, way before, years. So she years went through before. all of that with you too. Hundred percent. She 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 was with me four years before Jack Murphy. No, three years before Jack Murphy was even a thing. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, and so I, I had a completely different career. Mm-hmm. Lived in a different place. Was just in a to- had a totally different life and a totally different 
seeming like career trajectory and everything. And uh, she was right there through all of it. That's amazing. And, and she stuck by me in ways that are just, you want ride or die? Rude, ride or die like mm. hardcore and uh that stuck with me you know and it touched me and and i've, I've heard people describe like marriage like find somebody you trust to be in your foxhole and can be there and have your back when times are tough and she did that times a million so mm -hmm. she she you know if i met her now with my like you know e-fame or whatever and and successful business not that i wasn't successful before but now things are very good uh you know it, I'm always a little skeptical when people approach me now, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, what do you, what do you want from me? Uh, is it just because I have a name or whatever, or is it just because I'm tall? Maybe it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so it was nice to, to just have met her before all this stuff. And then on top of it, um, little known fact, she was my, uh, copy editor. Well, not copy editor, content editor for my book. So she coached me. She's a writer. She coached me through writing the book, helped me organize it. Uh, I wrote every single word, but she really hammered me over the head, <laughs> over the head with like, this is an eight. It could be a 12. Go back and do it again. Okay, I will. And so we've been working together as a team for a while. And uh, she's seen the whole rise and participated in the whole thing. And so I know that it's all, it's all and true. Real. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think there's something kind of magical about being with someone before you just start to discover your potential. Like when you're both at the very beginning stages of discovering like what you're capable of and then growing together because there is like, there's just a really intense bond that's made because it's not easy. Like that rise is not easy no matter what path you're taking. Mm -hmm. And then I would imagine that it, that's probably why so many people that are very successful or very famous end up alone um, if they don't keep someone in that transitory period because then yeah. you do have that skeptical mind and you're like, well, what are your intentions? And then you probably do attract some bad actors. So it's like, how do you filter that? And then every bad experience just makes you like more and more cynical. Um, so it's like such a blessing if you're able to find someone prior. Indeed, indeed. And women are really good at seeing the potential in men too. So uh, it's a good, it's a good, women can, uh, can project your future timeline. And uh, even if you haven't, guys, even if you haven't fully developed all the way, woman can see your potential. There's no question. And she's definitely assessing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hundred percent true. So if they can assess it, they can see it. Uh, but yeah, it's good to, it's good to build, you know, it's good to build. And what's interesting about status, right? Like for guys, you know, when your status is higher, it's easier to attract, be to be attractive. Um, and so there's other elements that you need to have if your status isn't fully developed, you know, right. you have to exhibit those stats, those, those, those attributes that lead towards status that show you that show, you know, potential partners that you're and wives that you're, you're on that path, right? You, you don't have to be fully formed hundred percent, but I do recommend sort of, trying to get established a little bit guys uh before you just jump into a marriage with just the, the first person the first person that comes along which is kind of what i did in the first time so i, I think you were trying to uh, get at like the difference maybe for me this time and i had no idea about game i had no idea about male status hierarchies what women really found attractive you know like i would just had remembered what my mom had told me or whatever you know just be yourself yeah whatever uh, <laughs> you know be authentic you know yes. but be the best version of mm -hmm. yourself 
And uh, I just didn't, I just didn't know the game. You know, I was 25 or six. I think I met her at 24. Mm. And uh, I just didn't know the game, just didn't know the game. And, and it, and it put me, I put myself in a situation that was untenable. It was just untenable. Uh, It wasn't going to last. It wasn't going to last anyway. And then like we, I worked in real estate and then the real estate crash happened and all kinds of bad things happened. So it all sort of blew up all at once. Mm. Uh, but for me now it's different because I understand relationships. I understand male, female dynamics. I understand status and hierarchy. I understand attraction triggers. I understand sort of how it works and why to be together. Right. I, yeah. I did a series of tweets the other day on why we were getting married. And the last reason I put was love. I saw that. Yeah. And it's true. That is the last reason. Uh, because love is all kinds of things. You can have passionate chemical love, lusty love that fades. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the love of like a good friend and a companion that builds slowly over time. And I think where people get in trouble is they confuse that passionate love with like that companion love that you need to make a marriage last. And so when that passion fades before the com- the companion love has built, people are like, oh, what's going on? Mm. Because they would thought that that like chemical stuff would last forever. Uh, not that's not to say that like our mutual attraction has not improved every single day since we've been together. Uh, it's really remarkable when you combine like being super attracted with somebody to somebody with a history, with knowing everything about each other, with planning for the future, uh, and certainly in some cases with the prospect of creating life. Right, like that just changes everything. Mm-hmm. It changes everything and it really puts hookup culture and stuff uh makes it just look so inferior you know after after a while yeah i couldn't agree more like despite what i guess a natural assumption would be like in my personal life i was like always like a serial monogamous i was always with someone for a very long time and then there'd be a very small gap where i was by myself i didn't really i didn't do the hookup thing i'm actually very shy um i also had a cop dad so in the back of my mind it was always that i was going to get murdered and so it just like it was a bad it wasn't like <laughs> it the, wasn't going to be you honey it wasn't going to be me <laughs> like if you want to get drunk and leave with someone in a car like that can be you but i'm not going to end up in a ditch so right. i just i never really participated um and maybe that's kind of why I went down like the career path I did because like it was a a safer way to kind of explore that sexuality um not entirely risk uh, risk averse or risk proof or anything like that but safer right, right um right. but yeah I think interesting I think you have to do a lot when it comes to um like you said like building like that slow companion side of the relationship and not just focusing on like the passion and the heat and the lust that's in the beginning. And I also think that when that's all there, it's so easy to skip over like the really important conversations as far as your values and where you see yourself in the future. I have so many friends right now that just avoid that conversation with their partner because it's too scary. And Mm. I'm like, we are in our thirties. Like you kind of have to decide now as a woman, like what do you want? Because yeah, there's like always medical intervention, but that has its risks. And personally, I kind of believe like leaving things to God or like the universe. And if it's supposed to happen, it's supposed to happen. And if not, it's not. Um, So for me personally, like there was a time where I thought I wasn't going to be able to have kids and I was exploring that that route, like potentially doing um, IVF or something. And I don't know, I sat with it enough and I'm like, it's 
I think everything is kind of like that engaged indifference energy. Like, yeah, try and show up and do what you have to do. But if you're not indifferent to the outcome, I think you're just forcing things too much. And that's when you're not going to start getting like that serendipity or like those blessings or, oh my gosh, you won't believe who I ran into. And then that connection led to like a book or whatever it is. Mm. Um, So it's like walking that fine line, but I know not everyone's going to agree with that. You know, if you're if your friends are worried about having those conversations about values with their partners, people they're dating, I think that says everything. It says that they probably know what the answers are, and they mm-hmm. probably know that they're incompatible, and they're just sort of whistling past the graveyard, as it were. Mm. I never understood what it meant when they said find someone that shares your values. I didn't understand what that meant when I was a kid. Values weren't something that we talked about in my household. Um, sorry, Rosie, that's my pity. <laughs> she, uh, barks around this time. She's always on every podcast. So I apologize. No, you're fine. Okay, I've got good. two too. Okay. <laughs> and, um, I didn't understand what, what they meant by values, shared values, common values. And now I, now I absolutely 100% do. And, and partially that was because I did I also didn't know what my values were. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time to just figure out who I was and what I wanted and what I valued mm-hmm. and uh, and what my core values were. And looking back on it, you know, my ex-wife and I did not, don't share any core values. And so we were doomed whether, you know, whether or not I knew it from the from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, my fiance or my wife now, she and I definitely share our core values. It was a miracle that, that we came together anyway, because we didn't come together right away over, the, over those core values. It's not like we met at church, uh, but <laughs> we, <laughs> a, we, uh, we, we realized very quickly that we did have the core values. And then getting into this political thing, it revealed even more uh, of our shared values. And uh, it turns out that her family, uh, very conservative, she grew up listening to like Rush Limbaugh at lunch, you know, with her grandfather as when she was a kid. So uh, it worked, it was worked out very well for us on, on many different levels. But it's not to say that you have to have shared politics. Right. That really helps. But the values and today, because our politics are so polarized along values, they're not, it's not polarized around like around and just debates on taxes or, or trade policy. It's, these are, these are core value systems separate. They're, they're, they're opposed. They're like diabolically opposed or diametrically opposed rather. And so, yeah, maybe politics, maybe, maybe it's not a good idea to have cross politics right now. And that's, that's an unfortunate actually, if you think about it for our country. Yeah, that's really interesting. So would you say that most people are apolitical or do you think most people fall into one bucket or the other? It's a good question. It's really hard for me to to separate sort of my personal day-to-day experience in which everybody is just hyper hyper political. Yeah. Uh versus like uh just normal normal folks. I I think most people are are uh less informed and 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 passive, passive, let's say passive. Mm-hmm. They may be political, but they're they're mostly passively political. They accept what they're told by trusted previously trusted sources and so uh they're passive. And I would think I say the difference for me is that I'm active, proactive. Mm-hmm. And that's those are the kind of people that I really would like to associate with are people who are active in their decision making mm-hmm. about their belief system and about what narratives they hold true and mm-hmm. what narratives they use to propel themselves forward. Mm-hmm. Um passive people 
I are uninteresting to me. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and dangerous. And dangerous. Especially today. Passive entirely or like passive in their well. poli- and political, right? Because if you're um if you're if you're passive, if you're not active or proactive about deciding what information is true, what narratives function for you, um, you can have uh, uh self-defeating narratives inserted into your brain. For example, if you just listen to what the government says about nutrition, right? What Mm -hmm. happens? You end up fat. Mm -hmm. If you listen to what the government says about going to college and borrowing money, you end up in, you know, $200,000 in debt. If you listen to the American dream, you end up tied to a mortgage and tied to a corporation. So if you just passively accept what we're told, you end up fat, sick, broke, in debt, chained to a desk. So mm-hmm. by that, I mean, let's be proactive about what we think and proactive about what we do. And so to me, that's sort of the separation. It really comes down to intention. Mm-hmm. Intention. I like people that live their life intentionally. Right. So what about it, you? You live your life with intention? I would like to think so. Yeah. My my <laughs> husband would, would probably say a little bit too much sometimes. <laughs> I would say in 2020, I... I mean, I had to like take breaks from social media and trying to see what the fuck was happening everywhere. Um, just having like a new kid and I guess realizing how vulnerable he is between, especially between like zero and seven, right? To who he's around, what he's being taught, um, basically anything that can influence him because he's in like a download fa- uh, stage, right? Like they're just kind right. of existing in this theta wave. So it's whatever they hear, they just, Sure, that's true, right? There's no filtration system really at that age. So I just saw like a lot of craziness happening. Um, and my husband's like, I wouldn't say he's he's definitely not like a passive person. He's more like a futurist person, right? So like he spends his time um, reading like Peter Diamanda's articles and talking about exponential technologies. Like that's what gets him really excited. So when you scale down to like what's happening now, he just – he can't get there, right? Like it's just – he doesn't connect with it. So he would see me getting into a tizzy and he'd be like, you need to calm down. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And I was like, but it is. And then I think what got him to flip a little bit was when we were looking at um, preschools. So this is going to sound crazy. And I've said it a couple of times on previous podcasts, but there's this um, there's this two schools locally that are like the best private schools in town. One of them teaches anti-racism to 18 month olds. 18 month olds based on the color of their skin, right? So here's, I mean, it's already, I think, a problem in general, but just to kind of show you how like full of shit that is, it's like my lineage is Japanese. Like I'm first generation Japanese American. Like my dad came here from Japan. Um, My grandfather literally was in Auschwitz. So He's my baby's blonde haired, blue eyed, and you're going to tell him that he's like a bad, oppressive person when both of those people were literally in camps, like those communities were right. in camps. So right. like where 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 is the facts on any of this, right? It's just like emotionally driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other school, the one that we ended up deciding to put him in, doesn't teach bi- like human biology to a point because they don't want to get into um, sex sex and gender. So they just eliminated the subject entirely to make it less controversial. Wow. So I was like, well, these are our options. And this is happening in North Carolina, like where we live. And this is based off of politics. So you have to get involved. So now he's, you know, listening to some people, reading some articles, finding out when the school board meetings are because now it's, <laughs> it's affecting the home front. 
right? When you've yeah. got kids, it makes everything much more intense. Mm-hmm. And it makes the here and now uh, very important. My mom, my mom does this to me where I will talk about politics. We'll talk about stuff and she'll be like, whatever. It'll just work itself out. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, the pendulum will swing back. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, mom. But in the meantime, in order for that to happen, human beings have to do things. Right. They have to take action. History is made on the margins by individuals taking action. Mm-hmm. And you can't, not everybody can sit back and just be like, oh, just wait for the pendulum swing or Mm -hmm. whatever. And 10 generations, they'll have figured it out. No, somebody has to figure it out each step of the way. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you have kids, it's interesting because it doesn't give you a long-term perspective, but it also really brings you right down into the moment. Like, what are these people saying to my kids, right? And why? Mm -hmm. And what kind of education are they going to get? Did you guys not consider homeschooling? We did. So my problem with homeschooling, I think there's a lot that you learn from being away from your parents. Definitely. Like you learn that, like you learn your own autonomy. You learn to be independent. You learn that you can be safe outside of them. And then you, who am I without those influences? And I think that's super important. There was also this quote that was, never underestimate the importance of exposing them to shitty people. Mm. Um, And that kind of made me feel a little bit more at ease. So like he has to see some shitty people and the consequences of, of that kind of thinking and that kind of behavior and where that leads you. Right. So um, I think I wanted to put him in a bubble for too long because I I was like, you can't see anything bad or you can't hear anything that's too crazy because I don't want you to believe those things. But I think it's probably just as important for him to be exposed to those bad ideas so that he can learn to critically think. Because I don't want him – I mean, I hope that he takes a lot of my lessons and my teachings to heart, but I do want him to you know, maybe challenge me and critically think because otherwise I raised a sheep, right? So they yeah. say you want to cultivate a child. You don't want to raise a child because you mm-hmm. raise sheep and cattle, and <laughs> sheep and cattle are part of a herd. They're not individuals. Yeah. It's interesting to watch my teenagers learn through experience the things that I have been telling them for years. Uh, My son seems more inclined to take my word for it. (laughs) In fact, so much so that I worry he is going to be too based because he'll just hear me working and be like, ah, can you believe blah, 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 but not get the whole context, you know, and not get the whole context that will make you a human. (laughs) If you you just think about like the base, the most base comment you could think of, and then forget that there's, there has to be all this empathy and understanding or wrapped around it in order to make you not a monster. uh, That part, sometimes I worry about with him. So I give him all that information, but then uh, my daughter, on the other hand, I swear, just either bounces straight off of her face or goes in one year out the other or whatever it is. But then she's experiencing things right now in school, you know, with, uh, you know, people in authority and then her peers of she's really experiencing all of the issues of the day firsthand. And so she's learning through experience of having to deal with shitty people. Mm-hmm. You know, she's learning sometimes about the unfortunate drama that tends to appear in groups of women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's learning about all of that stuff. And now she's also learning about how authority works and how people get uh, 
blacklisted and all kinds of things. So it's, it's interesting to watch her learn this through experience, but she has a frame of reference for these experiences, whether she'll admit it or not. My words are in her head somewhere. I believe that they're in there somewhere. So when these things happen, she has like a reference point. So I hear what you're saying and I have made it a very, uh, prime, like first goal in my life to just constantly be talking to them mm-hmm. and constantly be sharing ideas and, and exploring things. And man, do I feel like a dad because like the most simplest thing will happen. I'll be like, well, you know what? <laughs> if you really zoom out and take a look at this from this perspective, blah, blah, blah. It's so annoying. I can hear it just coming out of my mouth and I'm like, God, I am just a dad. I'm being so dad. here. Everything's the, a lesson. Yes. And the kids are, you can hear them rolling their eyes. But I can't stop. Just like I can't stop with the dad jokes, I can feel them coming out of my mouth, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, it's so bad!" And it just comes out. And you know, these are just things. These are just things about being a dad that that you know, I make I'm making fun of myself, but it is it is one of the most charming and and most fun parts about it. There's an interesting sense of um, freedom sense of freedom in being a father with your kids because you can be goofy and you can be kind of stupid and you can just relax in a way that you certainly cannot with women, you know, or in public or whatever. There's, there's just a different side of yourself that can come out and it's a, it's a lot of fun. I'm having a blast. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it can't not change you, right? There's, I always right. say there's the me before I was a mom and then there's like the me after and then yeah. everything just looks different and you think you're just so much more hopefully more self-aware um because they pick up on everything they also say more is caught than taught too right so it's like are you saying one thing and then behaving in a different way and then that makes me feel better because i'm like well if i lead by example when he goes out into this crazy thing called the world then maybe he'll be like okay well this is how i'm gonna navigate it one one place I've become extraordinarily aware of them observing more than they listen is now that I'm teaching my daughter how to drive. Mm. And that sounds terrifying. Well, on one hand, it's been amazing because she and I have found a new thing to bond over, which is road rage. <laughs> and <laughs> go faster. But then and then as we because we drive a lot for like sporting events and tournaments and all kinds of things. And so as I find myself on the highway doing my thing, I'm not the guy in the right lane, just by the way. Um, I'm like, hmm, maybe they're taking this lesson here. <laughs> I'm like, please don't ever drive like me. Don't ever, don't ever. And the, and she doesn't. She's too cautious and too straight ahead for that. If she has to take a right turn in three miles, she gets in the right lane. She's like, just want to be prepared. Like, is she the firstborn? She is. Yep. She's the firstborn. She's the first one to start driving. I and, can uh, relate. Then. It's wild, man. It's wild. I'm getting old, I guess. I don't feel like it, but when you look around, you got, you know, kids driving. It's like, okay, that's not young. No. Like, where did that baby go? <laughs> Yeah. You mean me? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now, where did she go? I know the time just got goes by so fast. I know it's trite to say, but they do grow up very quickly. And then one day you'll be like, damn, mm-hmm. I already get sad thinking about her leaving. I do the same for mine's a year and a half. A year and a half old. <laughs> yeah. You got years for that, man. Years I know. I'm like already thinking about him meeting his wife and moving away. No pressure like, or anything, though. I know. No, none at all. <laughs> no, that's like the hard part, right? One of my friends said something like so powerful to me. Um, and she was like, the, mo- the thing that a mom needs to realize is that you're going to go from being the most important woman in his life to being the least. 
And whoa, that like kind of hit me because it's like you want him to have, you know, find a partner that he loves and respects and puts her above all else, right? Like I want that for him. That's a healthy dynamic. But for that to happen, I have to let go. And you see so many moms that don't because they're like, well, that's my baby. And that's, you know, I'm his first love. And it's like me, me, me. And it's Mm -hmm. all about the mom. And it's not about what's actually best for your your now adult kid. Yeah. So that's going to be challenging. You know, I'm trying to relate to that, but I can't uh, because my mom and I never had a relationship like that at all. Mm. And and I'm realizing now, like, the just the huge impact your relationship with your parents have on mm. your behavior. Uh, mom, mom, my mom, my dad, and I very bad relationships. House of crisis, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, violence, lots of bad things. Mm. And so I I never had like fully formed healthy relationships with either one of them. And so I started dating at a really early age. I started, I was sexually active very early and also into crime and stealing things and just being a hoodlum in general as a teenager. And, you know, I also learned that too, or I can look back that um, my early dating and and sexual relationships were about filling an empty void. They were about trying to find mom, basically, Mm -hmm. like love, you know, like where is love? And like somebody just paid attention to me. And I was like, wow, this must be love. Okay. I love you, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And I look back on that, you know, as a teen and as a, in my early twenties, um, realizing that it was too early for me to be forming long-term relationships because I was still healing and creating like a, a a unified self, Mm -hmm. uh, and healing from my childhood trauma. And so that was definitely too early, too early when it's fulfilling a need, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, or filling a hole rather. Uh, but then I see my kids totally, completely uninterested in dating as teenagers. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. It's kind of weird. Totally not criminals, totally <laughs> not stealing things, not sneaking out, not lying and cheating. And I had an, uh, an aha moment the other day. I'm like, oh, this is what happens when people feel loved and secured and they're safe and they have consistency and, you know, everything is there and they're nurtured. They don't have to lash out. They don't have to seek early sexual relationships for validation. They don't have to have relationships that are doomed to start or doomed to fail from the start. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the power of a, of a loving family. Mm-hmm. It really makes a big difference. For all intents and purposes, I was basically like parentless, right? Yeah. And that's what happened to me. And it took me years, man, years of trial and error crisis, crashing and burning, bad relationships, divorces, therapy, yoga, meditation, introspection, you know, like it took me years of proactive personal work to really understand and process and then fill in the holes from the inside out Mm -hmm. until I was ready then to match up with someone on my level, as it were, as a healed human. And so seven years ago when I met my now soon to be wife, you know, I was already, I was healed from the inside out. And, and I think that's partly why, you know, our relationship has legs because we both came to it ready for it and not searching for some sort of solution. Mm -hmm. That's so huge. I think most people that end up in relationships, you're trying to find someone that makes you feel better. 
Mm. right? Like no matter like where, what level you're at and then you find someone kind of at your frequency. So if you're not healed, you're attracting other people that are also in pain and then two people in pain together. Like you can't find love, right? You can find um, companionship. You can find companionship at any level, but to find love like that has its own frequency, right? So you have to be radiating at the same thing. Um, So you said you did yoga was part of your, your journey. Definitely. Oh, I think that's amazing. For me, like when I go to a really good yoga class, an instructor that just knows the right thing to say. And I mean, you store energy in your body, right? And you store trauma in your body. There's like so much information out there to prove that this is true. And when you aren't used to moving, which a lot of people aren't, right? Like you get depressed or angry and like you just kind of go in the same cycle. So you're not moving your body. You get into these poses that unlock like a memory almost, right? Like you can get into a pose and you're like, you get snapped back 15 years and then you're that little kid going through something. And then I've seen people and I've been one of them that just starts crying because you're like, I'm having this amazing release right now. Um, Absolutely. As like, as a man, I feel like so many men think it's too feminine. Like that's too feminine of an activity to do. Like what was that moment that was like, this is going to be good for me. This is something I I need for my journey. Like, do you remember that, that aha moment? Definitely. Well, first it's, it's important to remember there's like a million different kinds of yoga, right? Right. There is certainly some yoga that is not for men. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Ariel. Masculine energy, right? There's definitely yoga that lacks all masculine energy. Um, but there's definitely some very, very strong yoga. And first of all, yoga was developed for men in the first place. Uh, if you go back and you, and you read about its history and development, I found Ashtanga to be what I needed. Mm-hmm. Ashtanga is a set of poses that never changes. It's a progression. You do the same thing over and over and over again every single time. There's three different series. And it's really, it's powerful stuff and it's strong. It's strong. Like you have to be strong to do mm-hmm. it. I mean, popping up into a freestanding handstand is not a weak move. <laughs> it's not a weak move, right? No. And uh, I learned that in, first of all, yes, you're absolutely right about storing trauma in your body. Um, I have definitely had major release on the mat. There's no question, especially like in pigeon and some few other like places where you can really open up the hips and stuff. And Mm -hmm. it's really, I mean, it sounds hokey, Mm -hmm. but you can feel it come out of you. Yeah. And everyone that's kind of been through this understands and relates. There's just a moment at which you feel the release and it's cathartic. Mm Mm-hmm. And it really is a, the only called a moving meditation, right? If you, if you're doing it right, you're doing your breathing, you're synchronizing your breathing with your movements, you're blocking everything else out. It's a very spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, um, very calming and centering and, uh, it's a hell of a workout. And, um, when I, when I got separated from my ex-wife, I moved down to like the hip part of town and, uh, there was a yoga studio and a whole foods behind my apartment and, I was like, all right, let's just give this a shot. And uh, after the first few weeks, I was totally hooked. About mm-hmm. a year's membership, I was there every single day. Uh, I went to, I did yoga every single day in class, two or three years. Wow. Yeah, and um, man, it was fantastic. Changed my life completely. I'm not, I'm not practicing now, um, but uh, I do carry with me all of the benefits and memories, and and building a community was part of it. Like mm-hmm. the community that I tapped into there, it gave me a lot of strength and a lot of power. Mm-hmm. 
I met a lot of friends and met a lot of interesting people, had a lot of fun coming out of my divorce in the yoga studio next to the Whole Foods in the hip part of town. It was was a lot of fun. It was definitely a happening place to be. And uh, I stood out. I bet. Did you love the beard? Yeah. Amazing. I'm 6'4 and like 250 and I can do all the poses. So like it's, <laughs> I stood out big time and uh, it was, it was a lot of fun in that regard too, but um, I highly recommend it. There's nothing soft about it whatsoever. Uh, and it certainly, it works together with a strength training program for men and women too. So uh, I have nothing but great things to say about yoga really changed my life. Yeah, me too. I need to get back into it. I was like actually just thinking that the other day because I just started getting more consistent with my workout because COVID happened and I just couldn't find a gym that didn't have masks. And I'm like, I'm not lifting with a mask. So I'm just going to wait till the world goes back to normal. And <laughs> here we are. So I'm like two, three weeks in and I feel amazing. I'm like, Good. I, I should have just done the mask because and you know, sucked it up because I needed to move. It's like yeah. I, I'm a different person when I don't work out. Um, and especially like that whole transition into becoming a mom, I think it happens to a lot of women. You get riddled with anxiety after. Um, and I don't know what that's about. I don't know if it's because you're going into this new chain, like this new person or because now you're worried about this little person all the time. But for me, I like just couldn't figure it out. Um, so I had to do a lot of work to get rid of it. And finally it's gone. We're like a year and a half in, but it took a Probably hormones. That too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hormones, man, they, pregnancy is a big time hormone shift for men too. Oh yeah. Like it lowers your testosterone. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're married to a woman and she's pregnant and gives birth, your testosterone drops. Oh yeah. And uh, if you notice, I don't know if it happens to your husband, happened to me, happens to a lot of guys. But when they say sympathy weight, that's not because your wife is eating quote for two. That's because your hormones are all fucked up and like you just can't eat as much and you just get fat. Mm-hmm. You get soft, you get fat, your estrogen goes up, your testosterone goes down, and there's really a, evolutionary reasons why, right? It's like when your wife, when your partner has gone through a traumatic birth, you know, event of like delivering a baby and the baby's vulnerable, the last thing the world needs is for men to be all risk-taking and competitive and fighting and out there trying to fuck the next girl. Like you want to be at home. Mm-hmm. So it's natural. So guys, you really have to watch out. You really have to watch out during that time period. Don't eat. No, that actually happened. Very sensitive. Yeah, he he's still working on some of the pregnancy (laughs) way. Yeah, I mean it's a thing. It's like a biological thing. Uh huh. It's a biological thing. It it also helps uh, keep the competition away during that time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting. I love like evolutionary psychology and evolutionary biology. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, Um, you can learn a lot. So with that, I you also had this Twitter thre- thread that was getting a lot of action oh, just boy. the other day, and oh, you said the word you cannot say as a man in a relationship. Which oh, is, I know what word or, it is. Which one is it? Submit. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so why do you think that caused such a stir? Oh well, first of all, I believe it a hundred percent. Second, second of all, it was a little trolly too. I know that this is a way to get people's reaction. And the context is I was talking about, uh, my, uh, engagement Mm -hmm. and again, all the reasons why we got married or getting married. And, uh, one of them, you know, one of the, the tweets was that, uh, she has submitted to me willfully. I've asked it of her and she's given it. And, uh, it sounds so much more dramatic than it really is. It sounds so much more dramatic than it really is. Uh, but um, <laughs> how far back do I want to go with this? 
When I very first, first started writing online anonymously, I wrote a lot about sex and relationships. And one of the things I did write about was like dominant submissive relationships. And part of the reason that I was so interested in exploring that and writing about it is because I felt like it was a natural dynamic that people have definitely pushed to the side. People have, have disregarded hierarchies. They've disregarded the differences biologically and emotionally between men and women. And they've disregarded the nature of leadership. And I wrote a lot about dominance and submission in a, in a totally sexual con sexual context mm -hmm. in that most women find, I think, uh, and in my experience, but maybe I'm just like a magnet for it, um, that, uh, they enjoy being submissive to the right man. It's not about being submissive to men. It's about submitting to a benevolent, leader, mm. someone who cares about you and who's willing to put in the extra effort and, and to engage the duty of care and protection and provision. Uh, and it can be kinky if that's like not your day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. uh, but for us, it uh, is our day-to-day -day life. And she wants it. I want it. It is the more natural nature, like way for us to interact. Um, and it's not about dominating somebody, right? It's about being a leader, mm -hmm. right? It's about, I wrote about, I call it a benevolent dictatorship, right? It's thoughtful stewardship. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's ultimately making decision and setting the agenda, but consulting along the way. Mm -hmm. So on our first date, we went out, we went out and, uh, we're looking at the menus and I'm like, so what do you think you're going to want to get? And she's like, you know, I'll have the fish or whatever. Mm -hmm. like, that sounds good. And the waiter comes over. I'm like, Hey, how's it going? She'll have the fish and I'll have the steak. Boom. Leadership. It appears as though that I was being dominant over her, but really I had asked her what she wanted in the first place. And I just took the lead in telling the waiter. Mm -hmm. She loved it. Mm -hmm. well, tells the story all the time. But it's not about me just deciding what she's going to have for dinner. You know, it's about listening and engaging. And in order to be in, in order to be good at this type of dynamic, you know, the dominant person needs to be very empathetic. You need to be able to observe and appreciate body language and subtle signals and whether or not somebody's actually telling the truth, what, like not to be you know, maliciously deceptive, but like if they're being honest with themselves mm -hmm. or if they're um, just telling you kind of what they think that you want to hear, you have to be able to decipher all this stuff. So like, this is not a, an easier route, right? There's more responsibility. Mm -hmm. You have to be more engaged. It has to be more thoughtful. Unless if you don't, then you're just, a, you know, you're just a beast. You're just like a scumbag. Mm -hmm. um, but this is, this is much more nuanced. And then and then I use the word in the context of marriage also to allude to sort of Christian values, which I'm not necessarily Christian. I do appreciate them. Uh, but it was a multi-layered tweet, which is just got so much of attention. Now, I wrote a piece way long ago that I got in trouble for where I described and encouraged feminists to seek out a dominant to help them get their head right. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. And, uh, and even to, even to seek out, uh, role-playing circumstances in which, you know, the, the R word comes into play, right? Rape, but all consensual, all just role-play, all just exploration. And, uh, I wrote it because, because feminists don't think that women have agency. They get upset. They're like, women can do whatever they want, as long as it's these things that we tell them to do. 
And when a woman acts with agency to do something else, feminists freak out. So mm -hmm. the, the point of the article is very trolly. On one hand, on the other hand, yes, I do believe a good dominant can help a feminist see the light. Uh, but you know, it, it's it got it actually got me into trouble when I got doxxed. My employer found that post, and like in our deposition with the lawyers and everything, they're like reading this article that I wrote anonymously about rough sex and choking women and like consensual consent. What do they call it now? Consensual non consent. Non -consent. Mm -hmm. That's too much for me. Um, <laughs> that's too many words. Mm -hmm. uh, but there they are reading this thing out loud to me in a deposition with like a thousand dollars worth of lawyers there. And I'm like, I can't believe this is my life. But there, there it was. So yeah, I use the word submit. I mean it. She means it. It'll be part of our vows. Uh, and the compliment to that is duty. I have a duty. Mm. I have a duty to protect and to provide and to care. Uh, and to help build the life and to look out for her and to take her thoughts into consideration and to be thinking about her, uh, at all times. So it's, um, it's an, it's an exchange. It's a, a consensual power exchange. It is not unilateral. It's not forceful unless you decide on that. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, you know, it's the natural way for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not like a tyrant about it. There's a, an no. interesting um there's an interesting study. So one of my girlfriends, she's a neuroscientist and she's studied sex and she spent a lot of her time actually studying kink. Um what's interesting is the more feminist a woman was, like the more she believed in that, like the bigger and badder and more for lack of better words, alpha, the dudes that she would seek out were. And she's like, there's something there. It's almost like oh, you yeah. know you need someone to be able to kind of check whatever level that you're at. And there was a time, probably not too too far in the past, where if I saw something like that where someone was like, you have to submit or you know, marriage isn't an equal partnership. Like, I mean, it is, but like you're both leading the marriage. I would have been like – that's misogynist and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just as powerful, if not more powerful. And like there was just so much masculine energy coming from this little person. Mm. And there was actually like a little bit of residual hanging out there that I didn't even realize until like my husband and I go, are constantly going to like retreats and like training things just to constantly be growing together and like have someone else from the outside looking in saying, this is how you can improve. And like, this is where we see seams in the relationship and like, let's fortify that. So we did this thing called Principal Savage. And what's it's the coolest thing I've ever done to date. So um, really badass special ops trainer and a really badass psychologist. And you have a knife on you. You have live ammo on you. You're doing obstacle courses and um, like shooting courses and fighting off, you know, 200-pound dudes that come at you. And they'll break down psychologically why you did what you did. They'll see how him and I work as a, as a couple. And they challenged me on that. Like I had – there was this little part um, after one of the trainings and like the days are super long and you have like these fireside chats. So they're like, you have to say – what are the lines to him? Like, you are my king. I will follow you anywhere. And there was a third one. Oh, and I belong to you. Oh, solid. Holy cow, was that hard for me to say? And to I was your like, husband. I know. And I like, I was like, why is this here? 
And I had just gotten done with like this neurofeedback training a couple weeks prior and they also challenged me on like the feminine and masculine energy and they were saying like I'm presenting too masculine and that's hurting the relationship. And I was like, what are they talking about? And this comes up again. And I was like, wow, there's something here. So this is in front of a group of people and I'm being asked to be so vulnerable and like work this out, right? Like, well, why am I hesitating? Why is there a lump in my throat? And it's because Mm. I felt like – I was losing some kind of agency by that. Like I was no longer his equal if I said that. And that's not the case, right? It's not that we're not equals, but you do have to have a designated leader. And that's the reason that most companies, most successful companies don't have two CEOs. You might have a COO, right? So they're also very important and have a lot to do. Just like you're saying, your fiance wife helps run like your events and scheduling and she has like a very important role. So it's not to say that you don't matter, but it's to say – when it comes down to it, someone has to take the lead. And then you, for some reason with me, I was like, well, why can't it be me? And I know that that's ridiculous. And I talked it through with my husband. He's like, okay, well, because I do agree. I think it's supposed to be him. But let's say there's a zombie apocalypse, right? Like, what am I going to do? Like, what? I don't know the first thing about the generator. I'm not going to be able to fight off bad guys. Like, I'm not going to be able to protect our the our location. Like, there's all of these things that I'm going to rely on him for. And it's not to say I'm useless, but who am I going to fall back on? And I would hope that it's me falling back on him and not the other way. Otherwise, we're fucked. Right. <laughs> well, the biology has so much to do with it, right? Size. You know, I'm designed to kill bad guys Mm -hmm. and animals, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, and so let's put me where I can specialize in my highest and best use. I read the other day and I tweeted it. uh, We protect women because they protect everything else. Mm. So there's, you know, you're protecting my children and the home and all these things that are more, that are like so important. And part of the problem is that feminism has degraded the value of housekeeping and house management and loving family and being dedicated to creating time and events and meals and gatherings, et cetera, and creating a home. It's been denigrated. uh, Masculine ideals were put forth as the new feminine ideals. If if women could only just be more like men, no. And we're learning that and we're seeing how it doesn't play out in the long term. And we're seeing how women who who believe that are unhappy when they seek out a man that they feel like they could be an equal to physically and in every way, you know, that old commercial, anything you can do, I can do better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. But I can't do a lot of things that she can do. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but back to your comment about like people's kinks. I've read studies and I interviewed a couple of sex experts very early on in my podcasting career. And uh, one of the things that came back very consistently was that people on the right or conservative who are in committed, exclusive, monogamous relationships have fantasies about group sex and threesomes mostly. And people on the left uh, who are in egalitarian relationships where they're both the same and anything you can do, I can do better. Uh, The women fantasize about being dominated and um, uh, um, I'm missing the word now. Um, Impact, not bondage, not discipline, 
but whatever, impact stuff, being spanked, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, if the more egalitarian their relationship, the more they fantasize about being dominated. So there's some element there of just like wanting the thing that you don't have, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then I, I joked at the time that uh, traditionalists who uh, on the right who are living a full-time trad life with the wife at home and whatever, it's almost like a 24-7 dom-sub sort of kinky relationship if you're coming at it from the perspective of the left. And uh, for me now, I mean, this is just our life. This is just our dynamic. It's the way that we live. And it's, it's, uni it's united, right? Uh, it's the same uh, at the dinner table and out in public as it is in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very interesting now to have this total uh, unity and congruence in every which way possible. And uh, she does not identify as a feminist. <laughs> and yet she's accomplished and has done the things that she wants to do and is not afraid to take charge and is not afraid to be a leader. But she leads on my delegation. So like, for example, I'll be like, honey, we're going to have a barbecue here. We're going to have 50 people. And she goes, okay. And she knows it's her job to take care of it. So she, she goes and she plans it. And then she comes back to me with a list of things to do. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. So, and then I do all the things on the list. Now, who's in charge? Is it her because she gave me the list of things to do? Or is it me because I set the agenda? Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to tell, but we're both being a leadership. I'm setting the, the agenda, picking the sort of destination. And then she's like the COO. She figures out how to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also uh, the muscle. So it's like, go move this thing and pick this thing up and build this thing and take the trash out. Okay, that's fine. That's, that's an acceptable role for me as long as I'm also the leader. Mm -hmm. If you're so like a honey do list, as it were, uh -huh. I'm all I'm all over the place right now. Whatevs, a honey do list. You know, if that's your life, man, that sucks. That's no good. If you just come home and she's like, here's a shit, a list of things for you to do. Mm -hmm. And you didn't actually help set the agenda. Yeah, that's bad, boys. That's bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, mine has to ask for that. So he, otherwise it'll he'll never remember. So we just have like a thing on the fridge because again, like I'm not going to muscle it. And if I do it, I tried like <laughs> we have this entryway and I tried um, putting up this key rack and he's like, just wait for me to get home. And I was like, no, I think I got it because like he's busy and I'm like, you're not going to get to it for three weeks. So I'll, I, I'll just put it up. It's falling <laughs> off on the wall right now. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah. Like just wait. <laughs> Yeah. So when it get to it in three weeks, you get to it in three weeks. My memory has gotten worse as we've been together longer too. Oh like really? I swear, I swear, I'm listening to her. I swear, <laughs> I swear. But then the next day, she'd be like, "Dude, we just talked about that." Mm -hmm. I don't know, honey. Sorry, I'll get to it in three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> He's the exact same way. Yeah, I think there's it something happens. about like being present that's a little bit easier for women. It's possible. Mm -hmm. It's possible. Yeah. So with would you say that feminism is at odds with traditional masculinity? Can they coexist? No. no. Yes and no. Yes, feminism is 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 at exact opposite of traditional masculinity, of traditionalism in general, mm. right? It's progressive. It's meant to be anti-traditional. It's meant to say all things old or bad, all things new are good. Uh, it's meant to um, obliterate gender roles. It's meant to obliterate the ideas of masculinity and femininity. You know, queer, right? Queer when I was younger meant weird. Mm -hmm. 
Then it meant gay. Mm -hmm. Now it means to blur the lines. It's a verb now. It's not even a noun. It's a verb. It means to, 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 to blur the boundaries so that we all become the same thing. And when we're all the same thing, then we're all nothing. There's nothing positive about modern day feminism. Do I believe that women should have the right to open up a checking account and get a credit card and buy a house and travel and vote and all those things? Of course I do. Do I believe in female agency? Yes, I've taken a lot of shit over the years for defending female agency. Do I recommend that you behave in certain ways? Yes. Mm -hmm. But am I going to put you in jail for it? No. Mm -hmm. But feminism does not have anything positive to say about women. And it doesn't have anything positive to say about men. And all it really wants is for women to become men, men that they don't like. So mm -hmm. none of it makes none of it makes any sense. And it, and as women age who believe in feminism there's now who are ardent feminists the one who believe they could have it all who could put off weddings and marriage and babies till their mid and late 30s all these these people are growing up unhappy mm -hmm. and i believe that it's going to take a whole generation of miserable women and men for the younger kids to look up to them and be like oh i definitely don't want that I definitely don't want that. So I'm going to do something different. And that's going to be more powerful than any Twitter thread or YouTube channel or lecture from dad about the evils of feminism or any of that. Uh, just observing unhappy people is going to be more powerful for the kids. And of course, kids are going to rebel anyway. So if feminism is the establishment, then they're going to rebel against that. And that's interesting. You know, for years and years now, uh, I think Gavin McGinnis, Paul Watson, Paul Joseph Watson and me all around the same time said that conservatism is the new punk. And we kind of fought over who said it first for a little bit many years ago. But that's the truth. Um, the establishment is now the feminist theory. It is now critical race theory. It is all this stuff that is the establishment. It's the president. It's the Congress. It is in the universities, the media everywhere. So to be you know, someone who doesn't believe everything old is bad and who doesn't believe everything new is good. Uh, that is actually the punk counterculture position to take, um, getting married and being happy about it, inviting God into your relationship with your, with your woman. It, it, fe it feels like, it feels like a punk move. I, I mean, you know, a counterculture move at this point. Um, and, and so many other elements of traditionalism and essentialism, right? Just understanding that we're different based on our bodies. Mm -hmm. Like You're designed to produce a human being and to nurture it and to literally feed it from your breast. Right. That's not the same kind of body required to go out and kill tigers and like, you know, till the fields and whatever. It's just not the same. And if people were just honest about and this is why again i'm all over the place this is why the trans thing is such an issue it's because at once they're saying biology has nothing to do with it and then also they're saying well if you want to be a man all you have to do is inject yourself with testosterone mm. so that is one reason why i have picked up big time on the trans issue partially because it's abusive and horrible to children partially because it is inherently contradictory and reveals all the madness about this stuff. Yes. Masculinity can come in a vial. It can, mm -hmm. it comes right out of your balls. It is a chemical at times that, mm -hmm. that, def that pushes you. Anybody that's, that's experimented with testosterone or taken testosterone replacement therapy, they can tell you firsthand more testosterone feels like 
well, A, more confidence, more aggression, more risk-taking, more competitiveness. It's so clear that there's a biological connection to who we are as people and gender and sexuality, despite the fact that everybody's saying right now that everybody's the same and it doesn't matter if you just call yourself a, a woman, you're a woman now and you can compete in the Olympics. I, I, I feel like this is such an uh, absurd, farcical moment that like at any minute, somebody's just going to be like, and scene. Oh, that was hilarious, everybody. You've been pranked. But no, this is this is reality. There's actually going to be women with testicles competing at the freaking Olympics. You think so? Oh, I know so. There's a New Zealand uh, weightlifter that just got added to the team that w was a man up until just recently. Mm. So how do you see that story ending? Tears, tears. I think actually, look, uh, liberal white women have been leading this effort of just ruin, ruining the world, basically. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and it will be conservative women that lead the effort back. And by this, I mean, you can see it happening, for example, in Loudoun County in Virginia. They are tired of having their kids taught that they're racist. When they find out at home, at the kitchen table, What's happening in schools? That is when people, mama bear, she gets motivated, right? And she's out there taking action. Mm -hmm. And and this CRT in elementary schools is gonna it, it is partially the red pill of all red pills to wake people up. Mm -hmm. When it comes home to the everyday Americans' kitchen table, I think that's gonna be that's gonna be helpful in accelerating. The inevitable, which is the some sort of collapse of this ideology because there's no logic, no values, no principles, no God, no history, no nothing. So it can't last forever. Mm -hmm. It can last for a long time. It can do a lot of damage. But I do believe that the more middle American women find out about what's happening in their schools, the shorter the time is left for all this other nonsense. Mm -hmm. Also, it's like what happens when your girl, like a if my girl in her sport got to her senior year in high school and all of a sudden she's competing against actual testicle, testicle having women, I mean, those kind of moments too are going to wake people up. Yeah. I think that's also, it's going to need to be done is just enough parents like seeing their biological girls getting wrecked, right? Like yeah. there's going to have to be enough pain and you're like, well, this just isn't fair. I, you see so many um, things on social media where they're like, well, they'll just run faster. Then you'll be the fastest girl. I'm like, it, that's not how it works. One of my um, trainers was saying that if – I think it was Venus. It was Venus or Serena. I guess it applies to both of them. But if they were to compete in like D3 college tennis, that they would be beat, like constantly beat out. And like you can look at both of them and they are just like the – like the perfect prototype of an what an athletic woman is supposed to be, right? Like just an absolute beast. Like no one's going to beat those two, right? And then you have D3, little scrawny college boys beating them on the court. What is that then if biology yeah. doesn't matter? It doesn't matter. And, you know, again, I told you my daughter is learning things through experience, right? Mm -hmm. She competes in a sport where uh, there's there's girls and boys. They're separated, but they do the same events. Mm -hmm. And the times are wildly different. Mm -hmm. And she knows why. It's not because 
she doesn't try as hard. Mm-hmm. Hell no, she probably tries harder. Mm-hmm. She's probably more dedicated and more focused, but that's just uh, her. And you can just see it. So anybody that doesn't acknowledge the biological essentialism of gender and performance is just a liar. Mm-hmm. They're just lying to you. Mm-hmm. And you know immediately not to take them seriously because either they haven't done the research or they're maliciously trying to manipulate you. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Yeah, I think some of them too, it comes down, I think, blind empathy. Because you do meet mm, some people and they just like have a bleeding heart. So it's yep. they just want no one to ever have a hurt feeling. And then we both know that's not good for anyone's development, right? You like you learn from those painful moments. Like if everything was gumdrops and rainbows, like you can't really be expected to constantly be leveling up. Because you're not challenged to. So it's not like to say go out there and be a dick to people, but it is to say there's lessons to be learned and that those are like very critical moments of anyone's development. So hurt feelings are inevitable and just like reframe it to how can I learn from this pain instead of becoming a victim to it. And then one of the worst things that's happening is that we're diminishing the value of losing. Mm -hmm. Losing is important. Mm hmm. Getting your ass kicked is important. Losing by a fraction of an inch is important. Losing is important. If you don't lose, if you're shielded from losing, you will not ever know how to win. Mm-hmm. And I see that as a really long-term problem. And I can see it playing out with my kids and their peers. I can see it playing out in my prior, my prior industry and prior fields. People just, you're right. People don't want to have anybody to have any pain. Pain is essential. There, it's also the same thing about good and evil. Folks on the left think that you can perfect man. You can make him perfect. You can eliminate evil. Mm-hmm. Folks on the right, as far as I've had experience in my readings, accept the presence of evil, accept sin, accept the fact that we're damaged and we make mistakes and that you just have to do better, be better, get better. Whereas over here, it's like, if we haven't perfected everything, then something's wrong. So we have to keep doing something else. We have to keep changing the system. We have to keep forcing, you know, things to happen. And uh, it's just, I, I just, it's tough because it's so outside of my worldview, just outside of like my life experience and how I teach my kids and what comes naturally to me and whatever my instincts are. Um, you know, I, maybe it's because I played competitive sports my entire life. You know, maybe that's it. You can see for sure the difference between kids that play actual competitive sports and people that play participation recreational stuff or don't at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, team sports are huge for teaching those kinds of lessons and and it's being corrupted. You know, it was like the Boy Scouts got corrupted and all these other institutions have been corrupted. And the church, people will tell me, has been corrupted. I don't know because I, I haven't been, but I hear, you know. And then team sports were something that I thought – you know, as a coach, I coached youth sports for many years. I saw them as a way to transmit these traditional values to kids, winning, losing competition, et cetera, good sportsmanship, accepting loss, being gracious in victory, all these things, working hard for your goals, relying on data. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it's being corrupted too. It's being corrupted too. And, and hysterically it's being corrupted by people who are like, I follow the science, man. <laughs> Sure you do. <laughs> yeah, learning how to lose is also a really important lesson too because then as an adult when something doesn't go your way or you do hit 
hit a wall, right? You know what to do and you know it's not going to be like the end of you. Or if it's like your first time and no one taught you how to get back up, you might stay at the bottom forever because you're like, I didn't, I don't know there's another way, right? Like, so here I'm going to be forever. Yeah. And it makes me wonder a little bit about, about what did my differing parent styles and and experience for the kids is going to bring. So like I said before, like I grew up in a household of crisis. I was totally a latchkey kid, super independent, working from very young age, Mm -hmm. like hustle side hustling, you know, on less than 10 paper routes by like 11 Mm -hmm. actual proper jobs at 14 with a special waiver and all that. And so I just learned how to be self-sufficient. I was living on my own before I was even done with high school. Um, but you know, my parents threw me out of the house. Uh, but I look at my son and I'm like, yeah, you don't have to move out. Like stay, mm-hmm. take some time, figure it out, save some money, build a career. Don't go into debt. Like it's just different. So I wonder what their outcomes will be given the experiences are different. I think, I think it'll be, I think I'll be right. All signs so far are pretty good, but I do, I do wonder, you know, I feel like I'm a good man now, but it's not because of my childhood. It's in, it's in spite of that. And it, and it really took years, 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 journaling, meditating, yoga, therapy, lots of therapy, reading, solo time outdoor time, solo traveling, Mm -hmm. martial arts, competitive combat sports. I had to do all these things in order to like, just to build myself and to understand what had happened. I'm hoping that these kids don't have to do all that. Man, that was a heavy lift. Worth it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I didn't really have any choice, you know, if I wanted to be happy or, you know, as close to one as can be and productive, then it was an inevitability to do all that work. But most people don't face it head on. So most people are oblivious. Yeah. That's a really tough one when you, when you have to try to figure, I guess maybe you'll never be able to like solidly figure it out, but whether it's like in spite of or because of, right. Cause everything's a bit of a butterfly effect. So it's like, well, if you didn't have those hardships, would you have had such a hard work ethic? And if you weren't kicked out, would you not have gained that sense of independence and resilience, right? Like everything kind of pushes you in a way. Um, but then there is like some biological undertone to it too, right? Cause some people are just biologically more resilient. Like there's like something that's expressed that will make you maybe, um, like thrive in a certain environment where someone else just might buckle and it'll be too much. It's kind of like that threshold when you want to stretch somebody to kind of like right before their breaking point to get them like the real them out and get them to rise above. But there has to be like, it's very calculated because if you overdo it, then you're actually doing a disservice to that person. So yeah, I don't know. I, for me, my childhood was also pretty rough, like lots of abuse, um, like moving around all of the time, mom that was there and then not there and just like a lot of inconsistency. I was on my own by 17 as well. Um, And for a long time, there was like a lot of blame and it was like, you know, because of you and in spite of you and that kind of thing. But now it's like, Part of that, I think part of the reason I'm so successful is because of how difficult everything was. But then you could also argue, you know, two of my siblings aren't necessarily reaping the same reward. So it's one of those questions that you'll never really know. Do you feel like you healed all that from your childhood? 
Yeah, for sure. But I spent a lot of time too. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like, oh, it's okay, mom, I forgive you. It's okay, dad, I forgive you. It's okay for all of these awful moments that I had to endure as a child. It was a lot of the same things, meditation, yoga. Um, I've done like a lot, like I said, a lot of those camps and stuff that you go to. So like I've done a lot of neurofeedback work, um, like the principal savage, like all of these those types of getaways that make you kind of look at like the darkest and most painful spots of your existence and then come to a better place with them. So it's like not not forgiving the behavior, but forgiving the person and I don't know, like trying to reframe it to a positive because it's no matter what the thing happened, you can't undo it. So are you going to let it be the reason that you are angry forever because that only affects you? That's not affecting the other person. Or do you want to heal? Because that's how you're going to be happy and find joy and just like live your best life. Right? It does no good to constantly like hate my dad. You know, I don't, I don't want to live that way. Yeah. Uh, I heard it put once. Uh, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Mm. <laughs> eventually i learned i wanted to be happy mm-hmm. and, and then i learned that the only way to be happy was to adjust my perspective um i learned that uh when i'm upset a lot of times it's it's because i'm upset with the way that some other person place or thing in the world is behaving and you can't change other people or mm-hmm. other things i figured this out 45 i figured it out <laughs> yesterday it's fucking amazing uh and so acceptance man Mm-hmm. acceptance. Now you can accept things without being weak. You can accept things without surrendering in the very same way as you can be submissive without giving up your identity mm-hmm. or without giving up your own power. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I've found that there is a lot of beauty and power in acceptance. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by acceptance is like, okay, well that person's not going to change how they're behaving or some circumstance isn't going to change itself. So what what can I do? It's like a crying baby on the plane. When when I was pre-kids, I'd be a crying baby. I'd be like, man, shut that fucking baby. <laughs> what the fuck? But now I'm like, ah, oh, poor baby. <laughs> right? Poor baby. That baby's upset, man. And guess what? Flying sucks. I get it. <laughs> right? So what changed? The only thing changed is my perspective on it. And the same event used to make me upset. Now it actually makes me be like, oh, cute baby. You're crying, but still cute. I get it. You're a baby. Mm -hmm. You cry. That's what you do. Plus, I have more emotional control than a baby. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So to tell the baby to stop crying when I could be the one who's like, oh, maybe I should just stop being upset, Mm -hmm. which sounds like common sense, number one. But truly, this is a radical notion that most people haven't adopted, right? right? Like being able to change yourself. I my what I would say is um either that ain't my movie, man, mm. <laughs> which I got from Charles Manson, actually. He was sitting <laughs> in court. He was sitting in court and they were accusing him of all kinds of stuff. And he goes, That ain't my movie, man. <laughs> and he really believed it too. Uh, but so for me, it's like I, I use that. It's sort of psychotic, but I use that, uh, especially when I would get a little in my head, you Mm -hmm. know, and I would start thinking about other people and thinking about what they were thinking about me or whatever. Dumb shit, right? I'd be like, ah, that ain't my movie, man. That ain't my movie. Mm -hmm. And after a while, that just became my, like, keyword Mm -hmm. to just, like, snap out of whatever it was. Uh, And I can't remember what the other phrase was. Oh, um, I take care of I take care of me. 
Mm-hmm. That was the other one. I take care of me. And, and that put the onus of care for me on myself. And when you do that, you actually make yourself much able, uh, you make yourself, um, you make it so other people can care for you. <laughs> when you actually tell yourself that you take care of yourself, mm-hmm. it actually makes it so that other people can care for you too. So that ain't my movie, man. And I take care of me are the two ways that I snap out of like being upset with some other person, place or thing and leading myself to acceptance, which brings me to serenity, really. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's really amazing stuff. Uh, it, t- it took a while to get to these absolute basic zero grade level <laughs> truths. I mean, the baby example is amazing, though, because, I mean, any parent, can, most parents can relate to that, right? I was the same person. I would hear a screaming baby, and I was like, why are you flying with that baby? Like, n- totally disregarding that it's public transit, even though you're in the sky, right? <laughs> like, they can Why are you on this bus? <laughs> right? Can't you walk? Right? right. So just totally selfish and just oblivious <laughs> to the world and then becoming a parent, and you're like, oh, my gosh, how can I help? Right? Like, it's right. like, how can I help? And then I've I've taken that approach with certain people in my life too. Like anyone that maybe used to just grind my gears or like just being around them would really frustrate me. And it's like, am I going to focus all my energy on what I can't control, which is this person that has their own agenda? Or am I going to be like, how can I help? Like if they're behaving in a certain way, obviously they have a need that's not being met. So I can choose to be a helpful person, a loving person, a compassionate person, or I can choose to just be pissed. Which one's easier? Well, which one is easier? That's actually a pretty good question. (laughs) Oh, well, I guess actually being pissed is easier, but long-term, long-term consequences, which one's one's Which one's better for you? Definitely. Mm -hmm. I mean, asking how you can help. That's huge. Being of service of any kind, getting out of yourself of in any way is that uh, to me, it's a spiritual act. Mm-hmm. Getting yourself out of your own head, thinking about somebody else, thinking about something else, mm. giving, giving. I say this a lot. I got this from Mike Cernovich, one of my very good old, oldest friends. Uh, lead with giving. Lead with giving. If you, even if you want something from somebody, start off by giving something. Mm-hmm. Start off by giving. It's good for the soul, one, and it actually will get you to your goals too, right? People like to reciprocate. Mm-hmm. People like to reciprocate. <laughs> it's, and I'm such a sucker for it. We're all, we all are, right? It's built into us. Um, I just signed up on a, another social media app, a new one. I'm about ready to announce it. I'm kind of an ambassador for them now. They recruited me for months and months and months and months. And I finally agreed. And for uh, our engagement, they sent us a a very nice gift basket. I mean, like the nicest one I ever got, like a 2010 bottle of Dom, a box of Davidoff's, like good stuff. (laughs) That's one I ever got. Chocolate, beef jerky. I was like, man, these people, they've been paying attention to my Twitter feed. <laughs> and uh, instantly I was just like, oh, thank you. What can I do to help? Like, how much more can I contribute? Mm-hmm. Like, reciprocation is huge. So lead with giving. It's like the good, right thing to do. It's also the thing that will get you to your goals. And if everybody in this country just decided to do fucking 10 minutes of service work, 
I think so many things would change. I recommend that to all my guys, all my guys in the liminal order, everybody on my Twitter feed. I'm constantly talking about doing service work, giving back to your community, giving a, building a community, hell, even doing service work as a community. Mm-hmm. These are ways to build your spiritual energy in a way that really will buttress you against all this nonsense and the chaos and all the infighting and polarization. Cause the answer to the future truly is within side of all of us. It's inside us. We have to start with ourselves. I couldn't agree more. So when it comes to the liminal order and like this men's group that you've created, how do you define their role in society and like the standards that they have to live up to? Good question. Uh, we have our core values, Everything that we do is shaped by our core values, masculinity, which is to build, create, provide, protect, to instruct, to master its honor, its courage, its loyalty, right? Uh, brotherhood is our other, another of our core values, service, accountability, loyalty, community. Uh, and then sovereignty, which is about personal sovereignty of the mind and the spirit and also of the body, fiscal, financial, um, you know, political, actual, actual physical, like food sovereignty, things like this. So these are our core values. And this is, if you want to be inside the liminal order, you must behave according to those values. You must uphold those values, exhibit those values, create more of them. We help you create more of them in yourself, more in your family, more in the community, hopefully. So we have more of them in the nation, right? Like mm-hmm. my life is in perfect alignment with my values, my day-to-day action, my goals in life, and my hopes and dreams for the future of our country. Mm-hmm. I wish that we had more masculine men in brotherhoods who were sovereign. Mm-hmm. This would solve a lot of the problems that we have. So at once, I'm trying to help guys be better individual men, have them be better fathers, have them be better husbands, have them be better community members, and then also be better leaders in the country. And because of that, those are my personal values, which I hold dear. And then I get to work on them every day with guys. Then I get to see more of them result in the world around me. And then I get to see them actually build and create things which are changing the world for the better. Mm -hmm. We've got CEOs, we've got startups, we've built businesses, initiatives, we do info ops, we do meme campaigns, we do art and media. So many things that have been out there going around you guys don't even know is coming out of the liminal order. And I like it that way. And we're building businesses that are literally shaping the future. And then we're staffing them up with guys from inside the liminal order so that everybody inside the company has the shared values. And then the investors have the shared values. And so it's not going to get fucked up by wokeness. We're building impenetrable networks and entities to fight in the culture war and to also just make lives better for men. And in turn, their families, which means their wives and which means their children. I have gotten so many messages from wives of men in the liminal order saying, thank you so much. Ever since my wife, my husband joined the liminal order, he's done this, that, and the other, and our life has gotten better and just thank you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, those are the kind of things that, that, uh, make it all worth it. You know, when I see my dreams come true, you know, we started the liminal order in June of 2019 with zero members. We have 600 now. Wow. Yeah. We have 600. We've had hundreds of meetings across the world, actually, mostly in the United States, but meetings all over the country, uh, national meetups, regional meetups, local meetups, go to the shooting range, have barbecues, do ch- service work, do charity work. 
um, hundreds of meetings and the fellowship and everything that we built and then the businesses and the initiatives and everything coming out of it and the relationships. It's been, it's been tremendous. What an amazing way to like provide purpose, right? In like a world where that's so hard to find. I think that's incredible stuff that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. It, uh, it is, it feels like a superpower having a third space that's not work and that's not family. Mm -hmm. That's meaningful that has a positive impact on your life and a positive impact on your community. Mm -hmm. And that when you invest time and energy in it, like good things happen for everybody. That's an incredible feeling. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think most people have that. They go to work and if they're married and have kids, they have their family. Yep. If they're single, they go to work and then they have their single friend group. Mm -hmm. This other third place of meaning, very important. You know, we're not a religious group, but we are spiritual Mm -hmm. and we do encourage spirituality, whether it comes in religion or however you see fit. Uh, But I do feel like it's um, filling a gap that's been left by fraternal organizations, church communities, things like that, that just have degraded over time. Mm-hmm. Have you started that book, Recapture the Ra- or yeah, Recapture the Rapture by Jamie Wheel? I have not. It just came out. I think you would love it. Um, I haven't cracked it open yet, but we actually we're going to one of his flow camps in a couple weeks, actually. So I have to get it down before then. But he it's talks about sex philosophy and filling a God shaped hole that's mm. left, and it's pretty cool stuff. Like his philosophies and the ways that he kind of sees the world is um, pretty interesting. And it gets into like in this modern day where so much of our community is gone because we're living more nomadic and religion's gone. So we don't have that, that kind of community anymore. Like where are you finding those, your purpose and, right and those social ties. And I think that it's great that with your, with the liminal order that you do encourage community work as well, because then you're invested. It's like how many of us don't know our neighbors or even know their names. Right. So it's hard to be connected or to give a shit or to want to be involved in any level when you don't know the person. And it's also easier to vilify that person and say that simply because we don't agree on everything down the line that you must be a terrible person because I know I'm not a terrible person. So it has to be one or the other. Instead of having a conversation and being like, well, actually, they're pretty cool. We might not agree on all of these things, but as a as a person, we actually have a lot more in common than I would have guessed. So I think yeah. it's so important for people to be more involved. Got that that phrase, God-shaped hole. I've heard that before. And I feel like I'm actually right there. Uh, my life is fulfilling in every way. Family, love, business, purpose, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every way. Mm-hmm. But there is still a God-shaped hole in my life. And I'm trying to figure out how to fill it mm. I'm tr- with God. Yeah. And uh, I've been disconnected from a relationship with God for some time. I don't know that I've ever authentically had one. Mm-hmm. I was raised Jewish and Catholic. I had a bar mitzvah. I've been to Sunday mass. But I lost it in my teenage years and I never had it as an adult. Um, but now that my life is truly fulfilled in every way and getting better all the time, there's, I, there's still something missing. Mm. And, uh, I actually don't feel bad about it. It actually is sort of joyous because like I'm, I'm reaching, I'm reaching the point 
where I've almost come to like, I'm almost there. It's a process. Uh, I interviewed this guy, Spencer Clavin, the other day. And his dad very famously wrote a book about being Jewish and then having a baptism at like age 50, like converting to Christianity later in life. And, 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 and uh, Spencer himself is Christian. And uh, he said to me, he said, look, God is not on the other side of a door that he's waiting for you to open. He's on your side of the door urging you to knock, right? Like he's already there with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he said that to me, in response to me talking about a spiritual journey uh, and and seeking an epiphany, I think it might have been right then. That yeah. might have been the moment. I felt it. I in I watched the video later. Like my eyes actually teared up a little oh, bit. Wow. And uh, I keep coming back to that moment because he's right. Right. Like if you believe, and I think I do, God's everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to go find him, dude. No, duh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just have to open up to it, and and it, in in some ways it is sort of like the last missing piece. The last missing piece. I, I I don't I don't feel empty. I don't feel like I'm missing, but I I do feel like a calling or or or, or just that God shaped hole. I mean, it's mm-hmm. that, that's such a great way of putting it. And uh, getting married is part of that process. Right. Like it is part of the way of inviting God into my life. Well, it's a huge spiritual connection, right? Like whether or not you're religious or whether or not maybe you're even aware of it, it's like something about that commitment, even though some people are like, it's just a piece of paper. It's just a legality. It's really not like you can choose to look at it that way. But if you fully surrender, right, if you surrender to that experience and to your partner, I don't know. There's like something, there is something magical about that decision that you make together. And I think a lot of it's maybe how you frame it and also how you interact with your partner. Like when you, I don't know, when you get to this place, like it's the healthiest place of your relationship and you're intimate, it's not like anything else you've experienced, right? Like it is two flesh and bone bodies kind of merging. And then losing that sense of space, time, and location in the universe. And that sounds super hippie, but I think that it's like there's a difference between having sex with someone that is on that level with you. And it's like we're doing this till we die. And if there's something else after, hopefully we meet up there because like that's how much I want to be around you. It's different. Yeah, I can feel it already. And uh, without getting into too many details, it has impacted our sexual relationship in a very positive way. Mm. Um, Not that it needed any help at all, but (laughs) it's just like one extra layer on top of it Mm -hmm. where there's extra meaning and extra meaning and Mm -hmm. love and acknowledgement. Um, You know, I've been all over the place on this sex thing, man. Like at times in my life, I have just been anybody anybody that i find interesting let's go you know <laughs> and uh and and i've definitely been in periods of my life where it was like my priority mm-hmm. uh was and it wasn't always just sex itself but it was just like meeting people getting to know them having a moment of intimacy uh a moment of honesty if you could as close as you could in those kind of circumstances 
Uh, and I've certainly spent my time on the hedonistic treadmill, as it's called, right? Like just running as fast as I can, trying to have as much pleasure as possible, acting like there's going to be some sort of, you know, to fill to fill up to this level line of like pleasure that once you get there, it's like, ah, oh, I'm fine. But no, that's just not simply, that's simply just not how it works. Uh, and it's taken a slightly less, uh, a slightly less of a priority in my life now, not terribly too much, but my perspective on it is definitely a lot different. And, um, you know, I can see the value in experiencing different people, especially to learn some ways about who you are and especially to learn about what you're not oh, and sure. what you're not interested in, um, and compatibility and things like that. But I also see every day the value of an invested long-term relationship filled with love and meaning and sex. You know, that is a unique, special thing that cannot be matched no matter how hot she is, no matter how many girls are there, no matter what the wild factor is, none of that will ever match when you add up your commitment, your history, your shared experiences, intimacy, the future, mm -hmm. God, all those things mm -hmm. into that. Not, not, none of the other hedonistic approaches come close. Close enough to try. <laughs> definitely not close enough for the long-term answer. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I think it's really important to experience other people. I think um, that's where the the right loses me. And that's why, like, it's so interesting. So I'm like, I agree with so much that you guys have to say, but you still won't let me in your club. And now I don't want to be in your club and I'm going to start my own club. You start know what your I mean? own club. Yeah. It's like, we don't have to agree down the line. And I think that's the one part I think that needs to go undergo a revolution when it comes to that political party. It's more of like the sexual liberation. And it's not to say, I think the fear comes, right? That if people, if society is too sexually free, then down goes the nuclear family and all of the values that go with it. And then people aren't going to work as hard and blah, blah, blah. It's just going to corrupt society on like a cellular level. And I disagree. I think that can happen on a small scale, right? You're going to have some people that maybe for lack of better terms, get addicted to whatever their vice is, whether it's sex, drugs, um, drinking, what have you. That's going to happen because we just have biodiversity, right? There's just an X factor there. But I think you learn so much about who you are through, through relationships, right? It's like when you're young, it's almost like trying on a piece of clothing. And we're like, how does this fit? right? Or maybe this just fits for now and I'm not going to be attached to this or maybe this is better, right? Like trying to find the most authentic version of yourself and that's hard. And it's so hard if you, I guess, don't experience other people and people can maybe say you can do that without sex. But again, that's understanding someone on such an intimate level and understanding yourself too uh, Yes, there you on go. such an intimate level. And you can't do that alone. And it's not you to can't. say you think- no, you cannot. Oh, you right. definitely cannot. Yeah. You definitely cannot. And and one of the one of the signs that I knew that my uh, first marriage was was definitely doomed. We stopped having sex. Very common. Mm -hmm. As much as I had wanted it, uh, it just wasn't there. And then I went began my own sexual journey, separate from her. Yeah. You know, even just in my mind, right? Not even as much in practice. And so I just we just evolved apart just evolved apart. Um, but the, what you said about the club, you know, the, the right is an interesting 
place to be right now. Um, it's not the same thing as it was before. And the rise of the woke left is, has a lot to do with that. Um, it, it's almost as if the tent is basically like, okay, these are the core values that we believe in. They happen to be the ones that they hate over here. Let's protect these values. They're going to attack them. And that's kind of where we are. And inside that tent, Spencer Clavin, he's gay, right? You know, uh, you and I have different attitudes on sex and relationships than maybe some of the other sort of traditional right people who are uh, on this side over here. Um, there, there's going to have to be a sense of tolerance mm-hmm. to build a coalition because at core, it is the fundamental values that we hold co- in common, right? Freedom, individualism, the chance to rise and fail on your own, not blaming you know people for the past, data, objectivity, being on time, all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I've always been uh, a little bit of an outsider on this side for that reason. I started off writing about sex, you know, and yeah. I've written stuff that people dig up all the time and want to talk shit about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I've come to understand that, and maybe this is arrogant. It probably is. Uh, I can see the value in having societal guidelines and norms and expectations that are one thing. And then I can see how actually I can live my life in a different way, but still achieve the values, you know, uh, adhere to the values that I hold important, like family and kids and being together and mm-hmm. building a life. Like you, for me, I can be sexually adventurous and still value my family. <laughs> And still be invested in my family and still want to build a family and still want to build a community, still want to do service work and still believe in liberty and freedom and all these things, uh, but also be sexually adventurous or outside of the norm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that some people don't like that. Some Mm -hmm. people don't like that. And that is going to be it is a sticking point. uh, And it is it is a it is an issue. Uh, for those people, it's not an issue for me, right? <laughs> right? Um, but it, do I think that everybody should uh, be as adventurous as I am or was? Probably not. Um, and why is that? It, it's because in order to have some of the experiences I've had, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of emotional work. It takes a lot of communication. It takes a lot of trust and vulnerability mm-hmm. and, and, and effort. An right. effort that either most people haven't put in the foundational work to do, have no interest in doing right now, don't want to do the follow-up work, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But also don't do the sexually adventurous stuff either. Mm-hmm. But if you are, you have to do all these other things too. Mm-hmm. And you have to put your family first, despite what people might accuse you of. And they're, and and it's just a, it's, to me, it's more rewarding, but it, ta- it's, it takes a lot more effort. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot more effort. Oh, but you worded that so well. It's it's putting the work in before and having that foundation because so many people will look at my relationship or my marriage and they're like, how does that work, right? Or how did he stay with her and he must be this terrible person that has no spine. On the contrary, like he is like the most confident, like self-assured rock that I've ever met. And it's because we did do that foundational work, right? Like everything was communication. I wasn't out there making decisions for myself, right? Like it was for both of us. Um, and he had to be on board for it. And I don't know, you you bond in such a way that I don't think you c- could otherwise. And it's not to say my type of relationship is for everyone because it's not. Um, 
but there's like not a piece of that man's soul that I don't know. And he could say the same thing about me. And I think because we've been through things, it's not to say there's never been jealousy and there's never been heartbreak or any of that. Like we've gone through all of that. But when you learn that you can get through that together, then you have so much room for grace in the future because it's understanding we're not perfect beings. And there are going to be times where I wrong him and he wrongs me in whatever fashion that you want to come up with, right? But it's saying, well, we've already done this before, something similar, and I can forgive you because I'm going to assume the best out of you and you're going to assume the best out of me. And maybe there was like that hiccup or mishap or whatever it was. But if you go into it with grace and assuming the best out of your partner, then you can get through it, right? And that's what you want. You don't want a relationship that's never tested and that it solely exists and solely thrives so long as everything's perfect and no one stumbles because that's fragile and that's going to break. Yeah. And um, I like the way that you said that. And what I have noticed for sure is that it's not a release valve. It's um, an ex- it's an experience with having to come together. Mm-hmm. Okay, like having to reconnect. And in fact, the reconnection is sometimes always the best part of being adventurous out there, and it teaches you that we all make mistakes and that you can heal and repair and it builds that muscle of healing and repairing and it does make you stronger. Mm-hmm. It's made me stronger. It's made our relationship stronger and we are expert at conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. Expert. Uh, I wrote an article many years ago called like 12 signs. She's a keeper. And one of them was that she's resolution oriented. And what I mean by that is that whenever a conflict comes up, what is her and your, inclination is it to prolong the conflict and like get the last word in and be right or is it to resolve the conflict most conflicts interpersonal conflicts in relationships you know aside from like devastating adultery or which involves lying Mm -hmm. right uh devastating lies and deception or, or or abdication of responsibility those things aside most Relationship issues are trivial. Miscommunication, misinterpretation, a little bit of a failed expectation here and there. But like, if what you want is for things to be good and your inclination is to resolve them, well, that's going to make for a much more productive long-term relationship. And uh, both my wife and I have done personal work on our own and together. And so we have this tool. We have a whole toolbox. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I know that this has legs is because we have already demonstrated our ability to repair it Mm -hmm. more than once. And not about sexual stuff, just about finances and getting doxxed and getting fired and not having any money and like needing to move and crazy ex-wives and just, you know, all, all kinds of shit that we have learned how to repair as we're flying this beautiful ship, this beautiful plane. We're flying it. We're up in there. We're having an amazing time. Oh shit. The wing just came off. Oh, fuck. We gotta figure out how to put the wing back on in motion mm-hmm. so we don't crash and burn. And, and, and truly that that's one of the keys to long-term relationship, relationship success. It's not, Oh my God, I'm in love. Oh my God. You know, he, she's the literal hottest person I've ever seen in my life. No, these things are not what give you long-term satisfaction. 
the ability to repair human relationships and to keep the big picture in mind and to stay focused on the long-term goal. Mm. The marriage to me is about making the marriage the goal. Not about individual goals, not about my individual security or her individual security or this fight or that fight or this dispute or, no, the goal is the marriage. So in this moment, what can I do to achieve the goal of the marriage? Mm -hmm. And that's definitely not digging my heels and being a dick and like being stubborn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> definitely not. But hey, again, 45. I'm learning these things as I go still. <laughs> well, hopefully you never stop learning. That's I think that's no. the goal. That's the sign of a good person, right, is continual growth and continual learning. They say if, if you're not embarrassed about the person you were a year ago, then you haven't changed enough. And I'm like, right. well, that's so true. It's so true. Like I can even go through my Twitter feed and I'm like, man, what was I thinking of that one? Like I've come, <laughs> I'm totally flipped my idea on that. Um, oh, good. Changing is good. Dynamism is good. Staying the same is not good. Mm -hmm. Then again, not everything old is bad. Not everything new is good. So take all that mishmash for however you want. However you want. <laughs> oh, man. It's a tough one. Well, this has been absolutely incredible. Um, do you want to tell the listeners where they can find you on social, any projects that you're working on that you're allowed to tell us about and sure. how they can support you? Sure. First off, uh, follow me on Twitter at Jack Murphy Live. Uh, that is home base. Men, if you're interested in masculinity, brotherhood, and sovereignty, come to liminal-order.com. 600 members worldwide. Sign up. Get vetted by the network. See if you are liminal order material. And uh, if you are, then then you will become happier, healthier, and wealthier. That is the promise. Um, coming up, we've got a tour. Uh, we're going to be traveling around the country starting late summer, going into winter, uh, called Jack brunch tour. Uh, it's going to be a Sunday social. So it's a Sunday social for those of us on the right side of things. And it's going to be, uh, in about 10 cities across the country. We're inviting people to come out, have a brunch with us, have some fellowship, socialize, get to know people in your town that see the world the same way you do. Got that. And then my wife, Red Hen, her name's Rochelle. We are starting a locals page together where we're going to focus on relationship stuff, a little bit more of a feminine perspective, uh, talk about the wedding and all these kind of things, cooking, home life, kids, etc. So uh, that's coming up. Uh, we'll announce that in a couple weeks, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, other than that, you can find me, Jack Murphy Live, on all the socials all across the spectrum. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, again, thank you for rescheduling with me. I'm so glad that we did. Me I too. wouldn't have been at my top form for that one. And uh, I've had a blast. And uh, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you again. I'll have to have you back. Yeah, that would be my pleasure. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Chatting with Candace. I hope you enjoyed the content. And if you did, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere that you're listening if that applies. And I'm going to ask you to share this with three friends. You could share it with three friends that you think would really enjoy this conversation, um, or you could share it on your social media. Both things help me out a ton. And who doesn't appreciate some good content? So I just want to say thank you in advance, and I appreciate you, and I'll see you next episode.